0: I want to begin this study by noting with you of course this is where we take our our text from and that's 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 through 7. Paul is writing to Timothy this would have been possibly Paul's last letter that he wrote just maybe a few months before his his death. And he's encouraging Timothy to continue on the work to continue on uh, the challenges that it, taking the gospel to a lost and dying world involve, And here's what he says in this epistle, verses 3 through 7 of Second Timothy chapter 1. He said, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But I want you to just kind of focus in upon what he said there in verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of of fear but yet we often go through life through our lives subject to fear or to dread you know millions of people and this is just a fact millions of people are prescribed zoloft and prozac and other antidepressant medications on a regular basis just millions of people do this and, and i think this just shows to us the, the, the level of fear and the level of depression and the level of anxiety that is prevalent in our culture. And I've got to tell you, fear is a powerful emotion. Fear is an incapacitating emotion. And, 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 but you, and something else you may or may not have known is that more often than not, the command that Jesus gives, and this is a command, the command that Jesus gives is one of fear not. Or do not be afraid. Have courage. So often we find those scattered throughout the As a matter of fact, more times he says things like that than he even discusses the subject of baptism. You take in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 7, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah were speaking to him, the disciples were seized with fear. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. And this is something that he continues to tell us. He continues to tell us Do not be afraid. That being said, let me ask you, is there anything that you fear? What is it that you fear? Are you one of the millions that goes about life subject to anxiety and and, and depression because you are afraid? What are you struggling with? You know, fear is something that is even has been diagnosed. You know, we talk about various phobias that people have. And the reason for that is that people live their lives afraid. There are people who are afraid of falling, people who are afraid of failure or germs, the germophobes, uh, or people who are, uh, you know, claustrophobic. They're afraid of enclosed places or flying or crowds. People are afraid of any number of things, diseases, relationships, and, of course, death. People are afraid of dying. And so as a result, we go through our life, we're just, we're just subject to fear. We're paralyzed many times by fear. But I want you to notice what Paul says. Paul says to Timothy, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Well, if that being the case then, how is it that so many people are subject to fear? God has not given us the spirit of fear. Now I want you to stop and consider that a little bit. Now. He's not talking about fear of snakes. He's not talking about little phobias that we develop. He's not talking about fear of diseases. He's talking about within the context of this. He's talking about fear in the face of persecution, fear in the face of opposition, fear in the face of presenting the gospel to a lost and dying world, you know, as he said in Second Timothy chapter three and verse twelve. Uh, he, he said, you know, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And you know what? That's just a fact. Well, are we afraid? You see, God has not given us a spirit. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about a miraculous infusing of courage here when he, when he talks about God has not given us a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit of, uh, of, of love and so forth. He's talking about not being afraid not being cowardly, not having a cowardly disposition, not having a cowardly spirit about us. As a matter of fact, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8 reminds us that the cowardly, the fearful, will have their part in the fires of hell. And so it's a serious thing to be someone who is subject to the kind of fear that the Apostle Paul is talking about. He says, don't be afraid. God has given you the spirit of power. God has given you a spirit of love. God has given you a spirit of sound mind or self-control, unduly excited. God doesn't, doesn't do that. So don't be afraid. Do not be afraid in the face of persecution. Do not be afraid of things that this world can do to you. Do not be afraid to present the gospel. Have the courage to do what God has placed you here to do. Do not be subject to the spirit of fear, because God has not given us this spirit of fear. Paul is in prison as this letter is being written, as we suggested a moment ago. He is awaiting execution, and in all probability he was executed just shortly after this letter was written. But now Paul tells Timothy, I'm not afraid, and I don't want you to be afraid. God has not given us this spirit of fear. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 39 if someone slaps you on one cheek, what are you to do? You're to turn the other cheek. Do not be afraid of what men can do to you. Do you realize? Do you realize what we could accomplish as the people of God outside this building if we just were infused with courage and we were infused with boldness and we didn't care what anybody said? And we weren't afraid of what anybody could do. And if anybody slapped us on one cheek, we're just willing to turn the other and go on and do what it is that we're supposed to do. Paul, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter, he, he, he points out that Jesus, you know, He suffered and He left us an example of how to suffer. And, and you know what? If we just followed the example of the Master in 1 Peter chapter one, or chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, then we would not be afraid either. We would just be able to, to emulate what it is that the Lord did when he was called upon to suffer. But again, we have to ask the question, how do we conquer the spirit of fear? How is that possible? And I tell you, I'm going to make some very practical suggestions in the course of our study this afternoon on how to conquer the spirit of fear. And I believe this is very relevant to Christians, both young and old. And, and, you know, I'm going to just point out something here. I tell you, parents, sometimes the reason our children are afraid, the reason our children are afraid to be different, the reason our children are afraid to stand up for what's right, is because they have seen at home mom and dad lacking that kind of courage and really groveling in a spirit of fear. We're living in a culture. We're living in a culture, ladies and gentlemen, that is I believe, intended to cause us to be afraid. I want I want to notice something with you, and it's, it's very much like the first century culture. I want to notice with you something that's said in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, when opposition to the gospel was beginning to arise, and so verse 17 says of Acts chapter 4, these are those who had arrested Peter and John and told them, hey, you've got to stop what you're doing. So, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. So here are the officials saying to the, or about these apostles, Peter and John, we're going to threaten these boys. They're out here preaching Christ. We're going to threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. Now just think about that. Here are the officials, ladies and gentlemen. Here are the powers that be. Here are the governmental authority telling these apostles, "You have got to stop preaching. You've got to stop teaching." Now just think about it. Think about if you got to, you come here to worship God, and there's a big notice on the door out there, and the big notice on the door said to this church. Stop meeting, stop worshiping God, stop preaching Jesus. Cut it out right now. And if you don't, we're going to seize your building and we're going to put you in jail. Now that's what they were facing. They were facing that kind of opposition. Now here was their response. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And you know what? I, I, I would say that if what I just described a moment ago were to occur, and of course we're speaking hypothetical here, and it's always good, it's always easy to have a lot of courage when you're dealing with hypothetics. You know, I understand that. But if we saw, we come in and we saw that big sign posted out there, we saw a big padlock on the door, say, you know, we, 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 would we say what they said? Don't you think we'd do what the apostles did? We, we'd say, well, you know what? Uh, uh, well, we can't help it. We're, we're going to meet. It'll make a difference what you do. We're, we're going to meet you. Well, is that what we would do if that were to happen? But you know what? I'm going to tell you something, folks. The truth of the matter is that has happened. It hasn't happened just exactly like I described it. But what I am what I'm talking about is underway as I speak this afternoon. And because of the things that are happening in our culture, we have developed a spirit of fear. And that's just all there is to it. And to deny that is to deny reality. Forces are at work today to cause us to be afraid, to open our mouths, to say what needs to be said outside the confines of this building. Oh, we get in this building and we're very courageous. We get inside these four walls and we just lament and go on and on and on and just speak the truth as it ought to be spoken. What do we do outside? What do we do away from this building? You know, we go out here and we face things today. You know, I was talking to some this morning at breakfast. We, we We have these bullying laws that have been implemented and it scares us to death. We're going to be accused of bullying somebody when we talk to them about the laws of God or the commands of God or the mandates of God, oh, oh no, you, you're making me feel ill at ease. You're, you're bullying me to accept your belief. You're, 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 you're making me feel uncomfortable. You point out to somebody what well, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through me. You say that outside these walls, and you're going to stir up in, uh, you know, an insurrection among the Muslims, among the Jewish population, among the atheists, among the politicians, and they're going to tell you, you've got to stop it. You cannot bring your faith into the public forum. And you know what we do? We cower back. We, we, you know what? I, I don't want to get involved in that. I don't want somebody to accuse me of, God forbid, hate speech. You know, if I go out here and I, I, I read from Romans chapter 1 beginning at verse 26 that God has given them over to their vile affection, their vile passion, men with men, performing that which is unseemly, women with women, burning in their lust for one another. Well, I'm accused of hate speech. You know, you can't talk about homosexuality outside these walls. You can't talk about transgenderism. You can't talk about same-sex marriage. And you know what we do? We keep our mouths shut. Oh, we get bold inside the building. We don't say anything outside the confines of this building because we're afraid of what might happen to us. And we don't talk about abortion outside the confines of this building or our church buildings, wherever they happen to be. I tell you what I I like in that. I, I, I tell people, I say, you know what we're very good at in the church? is we're very good at having holy huddles. We huddle up among ourselves, and we cry about the conditions in the world today. We cry about how rank Hollywood is. We cry about how rank the government is. And we cry about how wicked people have become. And we just huddle together, and we talk about it, and then we leave, and we do nothing more than huddle up and talk about it. And, you know, just think about how intolerant it has become in our society. And what I mean by that is, 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 is the forces that be are trying to push believers into violating their conscience. If you have a bakery and you can't, because of your faith, refuse to bake a cake to glorify something God said is an abomination... And then they come down on you with all the forces of the government's power. And you know what we do? Well, you know what? I, I, you know, I tell you what, I, just, I, I don't agree with it, but I'll just go on and bake the cake. I'll just go on and you know, get the flower arrangement up. And sometimes we're just afraid to let our light shine. Jesus said we are the light of the world. We are salt. And you know, sometimes we just, we're afraid. You know it's the truth. We're afraid to say something at work because we don't want to lose our job. We're afraid to say something at school because we don't want to be in detention. We're afraid to say anything to a neighbor because we don't want to lose their friendship. And so as a result of that, we're not letting our light shine. I I got a grandson. He, 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 three times, three times he was called before the authorities of his public school because three times he had been asked a question by a classmate on, Jonah, what do you believe about same-sex marriage? Jonah, what do you believe about homosexuality? Jonah, what do you believe about abortion? And three times he gave what he considered to be a biblical, truthful answer. Three times he was called into the principal's office. The third time it's, he was told, if you do it again, you're going to be expelled, not suspended, expelled. His parents, my son and his wife, they had to find an alternative school for him to go to. But I thank God the young man had the courage to stand up and teach what he believed the Bible to teach. But I think that is an anomaly. I think the biggest problem is we, we, we just cower in fear. We surrender to the enemy. We give the devil an upper hand. It's the devil and not God who gives us a spirit of fear. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what was it the psalmist said? I will fear no evil. Psalm chapter thirty or, or uh, Psalm thirty-four and verse four. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Nelson Mandela, who spent decades in prison in South Africa, upon his release was elected president of South Africa, here's what Nelson Mandela said. He said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Okay, how do we conquer that fear? I'm not talking about being afraid to say something in this bill. I'm talking about taking it with us. How do we conquer the spirit of fear? Well, in the first place, let me tell you, genuine faith in God is the beginning and really the only beginning of conquering the spirit of fear. You remember what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5 in the reading that we had just a few moments ago. Paul told, Paul told Timothy, he said, you know, you have genuine faith. That was the faith that was in your grandmother and in your mother. You've got to have Genuine faith if you're going to conquer the spirit of fear. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. There's something in Mark chapter 4 that I think is, is of extreme interest. You see, this is when Jesus calmed the storm on the sea. Verse 37 says, And a great windstorm arose, and they were on a boat. And they were going across the Sea of Galilee. I've been on the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of an interesting See, not real big, but big enough. He said, A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filled. But he, that is Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now notice... Verse 37 says, a great windstorm. That that translates a word from which we get the word uh, uh, seismology from. I mean, we're talking about a doozy of a storm here. But now it says there's a great calm. But now notice what Jesus said to them. Jesus said to them, why are you so fearful? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now just think about what he was doing he was rebuking them for their what? For their fear. And why did they fear? Because they lacked faith. And so faith, ladies and gentlemen, genuine faith is that which is able to eradicate our fear. Why would He rebuke them that way? Well, let me show you why. Let's go back over. This is the verse that we had not read. We started at verse 37. Let's begin at verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, He said to them, let us cross over to the other side. I want you to think about it. Jesus said to these disciples, we're going to get in this boat and we're going to go across this Sea of Galilee and we're going to the other side. And let me tell you something, if Jesus said we're going to the other side, not an earthquake, not a tsunami, not anything could prevent that boat from reaching the shore. This is where we've got to be. We've got to have faith that God is going to do what He says He's going to do. And we've got to have enough faith to to, to just be the kind of people that God calls upon us to be. If God said to do it, then we can do it. If God said it needs to be done, then it can be done. If Jesus said we can go to the other shore, they can go to the other shore. I love what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. He said that God is, listen to what he said, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or even think. And I'm going to cower in fear. This is the God that I serve. This is the God who saved me. He's telling me, J.R., we can get to the other side. Yes, Lord, I believe that we can. Isaiah 41 and verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. And when I think about this, I, I, I think about... Well, let me back up before I even make this comment. I, 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 I sort of alluded to this a, a little bit ago. But you know, I, I, think, I think it's we adults... I think it's we adults that many times have developed a spirit a spirit of fear. And we're passing that on to our children. And one of the things that I've seen as I examine the scriptures is I've seen a number of young people who have stepped up with a great deal of courage and they stand out as, I believe, icons of what it means to be courageous in our service to the Lord. I'm not I'm not talking about old timers. I'm not talking about those who have spent 80 years serving the Lord who have that kind I'm talking about young I'm talking about teenagers. You take, for example, David. David, David was a teenager. You know, David's brothers were out fighting a big battle. And really, they weren't fighting a battle. They're in the valley of Eli and, and, uh, Eli and uh, on one side were the Philistines, and on this side over here were the, were, were the Israelites. And the Philistines were taunting them with their big warrior, Goliath. David comes along as a mere lad, a teenager. He's not a warrior. He's not a soldier. He is a shepherd that's too little to be in the army. And he comes over and does battle with Goliath. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We sometimes read 1 Samuel chapter 17... And we talk about, well, we need to grow up and be able to face our giant. No, that's not what this story is about. This story is not about facing your giant. This story is about having faith in God. That's what it amounts to. Here's what David said when he finally went out with five smooth stones to face Goliath. He said this day, verse 46 of 1 Samuel 17, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Notice that. It's what God's going to do. It's not me. The Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hands. This is a story of faith. This is how you have courage. You have courage because your confidence is in God. Your faith is in the Lord. This is not about me. It's about the Lord. You know, and I, Joseph. Joseph is another young person. Sold into slavery, probably at 17 years old, ends up in Potiphar's household. Potiphar's wife wants to commit adultery with him in Genesis 39, and and Joseph refused. That could have cost Joseph his life. It cost him his freedom, but he said, "I can't do this thing in sin against God." That's courageous. That's having the that's having faith in God sufficient that causes us to trust what he says. Daniel, another young person. You know, Daniel was probably sold into Babylonian captivity when he was about 13 years old. And Daniel in Daniel 1 and verse 8 purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the food that the king's eater at the king's table is not going to do it. And you know why? Because in whom is the Spirit of the Holy God? Daniel 5 in verse 11 is describing him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three other young Hebrews. No, we're not going to bow down. That's courage. Well, what's your God going to do when we throw you in the fire furnace? Well, He may let us burn up. But our God is able to save us. But if He doesn't, you've got to know something, Nebuchadnezzar. We're not going to bow down and worship that graven image. It's not going to happen. And then there's Stephen. In Acts 7 and verse 59. Being stoned to death for his faith, but he was not willing to back up one inch. Lord Jesus received my spirit. And that's the attitude that he had. He didn't fear death because he had faith in God. And Jesus I think is the greatest example of someone who trusted God and had genuine faith. You know John, in, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 31 we find that we, verse fifty. But the Bible says that Jesus set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem. What does that mean? That means Jesus knew what was on the horizon. I'm going to go over there, and they're going to put a crown of thorns on my head. They're going to spit in my face. They're going to beat me with rods. They're going to scourge me until I'm nearly beat to death. And Then they're going to take me out, and they're going to put nails in my hands and nails in my feet. And this is what I'm going to face. But I'm setting my face steadfastly to Jerusalem because that's why I came. Then he said to, in 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 the Gospel of John, chapter twelve and verse twenty-seven, "What shall I say? You know, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose came I to this hour. And he faced it with resolve. And he faced it with courage. And you know what? Jesus was at that age, just a little bit north of thirty. Your will be done. I I I read something. I." I not sure where I got this, but this 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 impresses me. And I want you to listen to it. This was written by a man by the name of Haddon Robinson. He said, where was it that Jesus sweat great drops of blood? Not in Pilate's Hall, nor on his way to Golgotha. It was in the garden of Gethsemane. There he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Hebrews 5 and verse 7. Had I been there and witnessed that struggle, I would have worried about the future. If he is so broken up when all he's doing is praying, I might have said, what will he do when he faces a real crisis? Why can't he approach this ordeal with the calm confidence of his three Sleeping friends. Yet, when the test came, Jesus walked to the cross with courage. And his three friends, well, they fell apart. And they fell away. When you have deep faith in God, that will conquer your spirit or a spirit of fear. You will, in the words of Jesus, not be afraid of what men can do for you. Let me show you something else that conquers the spirit of fear, and that is confident prayer. Confident prayer life will conquer a spirit of fear. Remember what Paul was doing in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 3? He was praying for Timothy, praying for Timothy's faith. I want to go back to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Remember what they were told? They were told, you know, you've got to stop speaking, you've got to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. You know what they did? They got together and they had a prayer meeting. They got together and they approached God in prayer. This is what I'm talking about. If you read on down in chapter 4, you're going to find as they get over there, about verses 27 on, that they're in prayer to God. Let me tell you what they don't pray. They don't pray that God would remove the opposition They don't pray that God would touch the hearts of these enemies so that they would not persecute them. No, that's not what they pray. In verse 29, they say, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. When's the last time you prayed that God would infuse you with some courage? God, give me some courage. Give me me boldness that I need so I can go out and preach your word. You know, God told Abraham and Genesis 15 and verse 1. I love this. He says to Abraham, Abraham, I am your shield. He didn't say, I will give you a shield to protect you. He said to Abraham, I am your shield. God is the shield. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And I tell you what, that's all we, that's all we need to know. Hey, you ever been afraid to knock on somebody's door you know sometimes churches get together and they have a little door knocking, you know I'm not sure how, how much that benefits today. It used to benefit a great deal. but how many of us have gone up to a door and we knock on the door and we stand there I hope nobody's home oh I, I just I hope nobody's here, you know okay, I'll just leave a track and I'll move on you know but, but here's the thing I want you to, I want you to stop and think about think about the Great Commission. Think of what Jesus said in Matthew's tell in the Great Commission. You know, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. What does he say then? And I am with you. You do what I say, and you will not do it, do it alone, and there's no reason for you to be afraid. I'm with you on that doorstep. I'm with you when you're talking to somebody about the gospel. I'm with you. Paul was afraid to go into Corinth. Remember when when he was afraid to go into Corinth there in Acts chapter 18 verses 9 and 10 and Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. I've got a lot of people in this city. And oh, by the way, Paul, I'll be with you. You don't have any reason to be afraid. I will be with you. And if God is with us, who can be against us? Jesus said, or the Bible says that the Lord said in Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so therefore I will not be afraid of what men can do to me. You want to conquer fear? Develop your faith. You want to conquer the spirit of fear? Get on your knees and pray. Develop a relationship with God. And then begin to wait on God. Don't put God on your timetable. Don't make God subject to your whims and your wishes. Psalmist declared in Psalm 27 verse one, "The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Then you read on down throughout the chapter and you get to the very last, you get to the very last verse in that psalm. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, it's important that we have that kind of attitude. Remember what the Lord has done for you in the past. And wait for Him in the present. And trust Him in the future. Don't lose your faith. And don't lose your patience. Isaiah 56 and verse 3, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Psalm 55 and verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Wait on the Lord. Want to conquer the spirit of fear? Not only have genuine faith and confident prayer and not only waiting on God, but now you need to claim God's Gift. Okay, I'll take it, Lord. I'll take it. What what, what is it? Well, Let's notice again what Paul says to Timothy in verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Okay, God, what what are you doing? If you're not giving me a spirit of fear, what will you give me? Well, I'll give you a spirit of power. I'll, I'll give you a spirit of power. Claim that. Claim that gift that God offers to you. Paul did in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 when he prayed to the Lord three times that God would remove that thorn in the flesh. God said no. And then he said, My power the, or the power of Christ may rest upon me. I can do this thing because the power of Christ is resting upon me, no matter what. I'll content myself in your will. Claim that. The power of Christ resting upon you. Claim the spirit of love. That's what he said there in verse 7 as well. And as you know, Mike pointed out at the beginning of our study, you know, uh, perfect love casts out fear, First John 4 and verse 18. And you know what? There's no reason to be afraid. No fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Fear carries with it a, a sense of dread and a sense of angst and a sense of you know, punishment. That's not, what we're, that's, that's not the God that we, we love, We serve a loving God. And when we're in a relationship with God, that mature love will remove any reason that we have to be afraid. And then he says another gift that God is offering, not just a spirit of power and a spirit of love, but he said a spirit of a sound mind. That's sober-mindedness. That's not being unduly excited. It's a, it's, it's a peaceful mind. How many of you are at peace, really? How many of you really have peace of mind? How many of you are going to be able to say with Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and verse 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. How many of you are going to be able to say with the Lord as he was dying upon the cross, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. This is what it means to be able to face life and face death without being involved with the spirit of fear. Serving the Lord with genuine faith will bring peace of mind. And peace of mind will bring about a sense of contentment and remove, absolves all fear that we have. I'd like to close with this verse. One that we're all very familiar with. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be, also. You know, I got to tell you that that passage there, John fourteen, is 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 very very meaningful to me, and, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why, and I hope it becomes very meaningful to you. I think sometimes when we talk about heaven, we get so we get so out in left field that we lose any desire to go to heaven. We talk about heaven being a place where there's a street of gold, where there are walls of jasper, and and all of these other great images that we have of heaven. And we think of heaven as a place where, you know, we sometimes we sing when all of God's singers get home. Well, heaven's just going to be a place where we have just a, one big, long church service. You know, a song leader going to get up and say, Okay, turn in your hymn book to hymn number 1,753,999. That's not what heaven is. Heaven is going to be a place where we can enjoy the presence of God. Where I am, there you may be also. First time that I went overseas, went to Nigeria, West Africa, back in the 90s. I was there for eight weeks. And you know, while I was there, I I loved those brethren. I loved the work that I was doing. I was involved every day in teaching and preaching the gospel. I developed some relationships that continue to this day with some good Christians in Nigeria. But I got homesick. I got so homesick that I sometimes couldn't sleep. I sometimes got physically ill. I was so homesick. I didn't want to come home And see the beautiful carpet on the floor. I didn't want to come home and look at my furniture. I didn't want to come home and see my my driveway and the shrubs and the ferns and all these other things. No. I was homesick because of who was there. The person that I loved more than my life was waiting for me at home. And I wanted to be in her presence. This is the way it is with heaven. Jesus gave his life so that I could have salvation. He provides me with a spirit of power. He provides me with a spirit of love. And he provides me with a spirit of calmness. And one day, I just want to be there in his presence and say thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. What about you? Do you have the spirit of fear or are you in a good relationship with God? you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? You're well on your way to becoming a Christian. You can confess that faith this afternoon and you can turn from a life of sin and you can be baptized in water. That's called repentance. And then you can be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. And you can be raised to walk in units of life. And you can walk out those double doors with the full assurance of faith that you are a child of God and that heaven awaits you if you remain faithful unto death and you have nothing to be afraid of. If you're subject to the invitation, we urge you to come right now as together we stand and as we sing.